This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everyone. My name is Christian, and welcome back to Throughline, the podcast where we try to find the concept in non-concept albums. Today, we're taking a look at an artist with one of the most wildly unique and exhilarating female voices, and really musical voices in general. A singer-songwriter who broke into success with her first album at only 21, and our first American artist on the podcast, we're covering Jules, Pieces of You. Mr. So-and-so Knock, knock, knocking on his door again last night Said you needed it back Yes, that jewel. And by that jewel, I mean probably whichever one you were thinking about. Because I had never heard of this artist prior to it being a suggestion for this episode. Yep, it's another blind run. Now, before we get into the breakdown, let me lay out some quick facts about the album and artist as always. Pieces of You, like we mentioned, was Jewel's first studio album, released in 1995. But it was far from her first foray into music, the album having been constructed largely during her teenage years. In fact, several of the songs on the album were recorded live in the wild, including the applause at the end into the fabric of the sound, which is something I totally and completely refused to analyze in the structure because it felt nebulous, and I didn't have enough time in the episode, okay? Don't be greedy, it's already long! Anyway, the album itself actually completely failed to chart the year it was released, only breaking through two years later after a few single re-releases. When it did finally chart, it reached fifth in Australia and Norway, second in Canada, fourth in the US, and first in New Zealand. And despite middling numbers at the beginning, the album has grown to be platinum in the Netherlands and New Zealand, six times platinum in Australia, eight times platinum in Canada, and 12 times platinum in the United States, selling at least 12 million copies worldwide. These are massive numbers for a debut album, one of the best selling of all time, especially considering it was ranked around a C average when it was first released. These are surprising and notable numbers. For those of you who don't know who Jewel is, well, she started around this time. 
She was only 21 when Pieces of You was released and has gone on to make 12 more studio albums, most of which exist within a similar space as Pieces of You, a blend of folk, singer-songwriter, acoustic pop, with some veering into more traditional country, pop, or even dance pop spaces. She grew up in part in a remote region of Alaska with her father, making money by performing gigs with him in bars, and eventually moved to San Diego by herself just after graduating, living out of her car prior to releasing this album. All this to say that despite a later song in the album, it does seem like she did get along with her father, just to make that clear, which itself brings up an interesting point. Not every album is a one-to-one retelling of some aspect of the artist's life. Some things are fabricated or built out of a small fragment of truth in order to facilitate a more meaningful or understandable sentiment in the lyrics and songwriting. On this point, because I do not research anything about the artist prior to writing the breakdowns, I do not have any outside information to refute a theory I may ascertain from reading the album on its own. As mentioned in other episodes, it should be noted that these breakdowns are theories meant to provide new perspectives on the meaning of the album and find a thematic connection perhaps where one was never meant to exist. Now back to Jewel, she has sold over 30 million records internationally and has released an album even as soon as April 2022, just two months before this episode comes out. She has toured in at least 14 official tours, playing over 600 shows worldwide, at least in the numbers that I could find, and at only 48 years old, she seems like she doesn't really have many plans to stop making music or touring anytime soon. Finally, she's been nominated for four Grammys and has won numerous other awards. For those of you who don't know what folk means, I'll give that to you. It generally kind of seems very nebulous and undefined. The idea of folk music started sometime in the 1800s, or at least was named in the 1800s, and traditionally just meant a style of music that was generational and subsequently passed down from family member to family member, almost as a means of preserving or continuing history. Noticeably, it likely comes from the idea of folklore, the telling of stories within civilizations about beliefs or myths at the time, as a method of entertainment or community. Today, however, it is largely clarified as being a genre of mainly acoustic instrumentation behind a bed of simple, honest, or working-class lyrics that all in all sounds, for lack of a better term, woodsy or natural. Like indie music, it's kind of a mixed bag of ideas mainly used to group a large variety of musical styles into an easily understood category. But with all that being said, and the stage set once again, let's not waste any more time and jump right into our new episode with this week's album, Pieces of You by Jewel. This album is not what I was expecting. When I was suggested to cover Jewel, I was expecting more of a fun, lighthearted, semi-country acoustic romp through relationships and slice-of-life situations. With little to no information going in and such a soft album cover and name, I had to rely on my contextual knowledge, falling back on stereotypes due to a lack of information, a dangerous position to judge new music or really anything from. And I was so far and away blindsided by this album that I'm almost upset that it wasn't something lighthearted or kitschy. Because this music is so incredibly grief-stricken and raw, and also intensely relevant. I've been listening to this album now for about 
two weeks, prepping my thoughts to compile here until I actually began writing a day after one of the most alarming events in recent American history. And for a moment, I considered whether or not this album was the most appropriate for the time. Entertainment that interacts with the world in real time is risky and often defeats the goal of many who search out shows, movies, podcasts, books, video games, and more to escape the horrors and plights of everyday life. But as I continued to think on it, it seems more and more necessary to discuss these issues and work to uncover both the truth and possible solutions for the crisis of humanity unfolding. And one of these most common recent trends in dramatic stories is that of generation trauma and the reconciliation of the sins of our mothers and fathers to develop a healthier society and ancestral relationships going forward. Even offhand, movies like Everything Everywhere All at Once, Encanto, Turning Red, all within the last couple of years, all talk about this growth and attempt to understand those different from you, especially within your family, and a push toward being kind and forgiving, not needing to push the same difficulties that you had on those around you because you think that your life has been unfair. And as you can probably tell, we've skipped a key portion of this episode. By this point, we typically start to go track by track over the first three or four songs in order to see if there's any connection or pattern that we immediately start to notice. The only problem with that here is that Pieces of You has such a wide variety of topics that it is attempting to cover that the first three songs do not have any fully developed connections. Actually, let's go track by track quickly so you can see what I mean. Who Will Save Your Soul discusses people who are generally in positions of power and how they use this power to manipulate or control those who struggle, often under the pretense that the powerful believe they are immune from spiritual harm by some divine forgiveness. But Jewel very clearly dictates that those who scam and cheat their way to success are damning themselves because they're rotting from the inside out even before their soul is secured. Pieces of You is a minor keyed, echoing, haunting piece that covers individuals who are unkind or cruel because they are internally critical about an unchangeable aspect of their nature, but choose to punish others for it because it is easier than punishing or accepting themselves. Immediately following this is a challenging song in Little Sister. In fact, take a listen and make notice of the obtuse metaphor work. Every day we starve while we eat white bread and beer and stay. Instead of a handshake or hug, we spill the pills and sweep them under the rug. My little sister's a zombie in a body. At first glance, just quickly summarized, it seems to be about the proliferation of drugs and drug-like analogs, like propagandized media or lifestyle trends that benefit the seller and harm the user in a perpetuating loop that sickens all of society and their souls in one go. Essentially, through addiction, the majority have been worn down to empty husks, zombies who blindly amble through life in ways that are unchallenging. But though it seems like a pattern is forming here, it's loose and uncommitted. There are hints of the corrupt nature of those in power positions and the general idea of a crumbling society where the pillars of a happy life are abused or damaged, but it doesn't come together completely in the first three songs. And even then, the next song, Foolish Games, is about something 
else entirely. Rather than societal failings, it's much more personal, on the surface being about an individual who finds herself in a relationship that feels unfairly balanced out of their favor. Their partner is mysterious and interesting, smart and creative, with a mind that outshines a perfect, immaculate concept, yet the main character is imperfect and soiled, and it seems like the partner understands this and insults or breaks up with her as a result. Take a listen to the second half of the second verse here. Things that knew what an honest dollar did mean, I hid my soiled hands behind my back. Simply, she just feels like she doesn't measure up. But how does that even have a chance to connect to the first three songs? That seems wildly out of left field, a look turned inward on imperfection. And wait, you ask, didn't you say this was about generational trauma? Well, I did. But also, yes and no. It is about generational trauma, but it's not only or even mainly about generational trauma. That's really only merely a piece of the puzzle. We've already introduced this idea of an unfair world and a push to find a way to combat the forces that cause it to be so. We also have the idea of self-imperfection in comparison to perfection, an unattainable and painful goal. But like I said before, that's really only a surface reading. So let's crack open Foolish Games just for a moment. It would be easy to label this song as a relationship song, one that Jewel possibly went through where she felt inadequate or dominated by the presence of her partner. But if we look through the lens of a generational struggle here, we see this song in a new light. As children, our elders are idealized in our minds, told that they are wise because they've lived through more time, and as such have had time to grow, develop, and become perfect. They seem smart because we know very little. They seem mysterious because there's thousands of hours of their life we don't know about. They seem interesting because almost nothing has happened to us. They wax about the things they believe to be right and wrong, speaking as if truth, and the imperfections and mistakes that we make growing up seem dirty, soiling us, an aspect that we feel the need to hide. But then, as we get older, it's only then do, at least some of the time, these things become revealed as fraud, as inconsiderate or flawed. Not to play the same song twice, but listen to the bridge of Foolish Games and notice her anger here. Think I've mistaken you for somebody else. Somebody who gave a damn. Somebody more like myself and me. Excuse me, think I've mistaken you for somebody else. Somebody who gave a damn. Somebody more like myself. She here is noticing the flaws the problems, and wanting to, and firmly stating that she is and will do better. That being clean in your own eyes does not make you right. And so, we're starting to diverge from an idea of generational trauma, and more building into a concept of generational improvement. The desire to be better than those that came before. And her way of doing this is through love. While that may sound cliche, it's also poignant. 
In the midst of an album strewn with despair, it screams of hope. Listen to this section of I'm Sensitive, a song in the back half that speaks to her being more on the emotional side. I have this theory that if we're told we're bad, that's the only idea we'll ever have. Maybe if we are surrounded in beauty, someday. But maybe if we are surrounded in beauty, someday we will become what we see. It's a utopian ideal for sure, and she is aware of the near impossibility of the task, but it doesn't dissuade her from the hope. And this is actually fairly easy to see in the album art. It's a fairly clean design. The artwork shows Jewel in a soft blue landscape, her image embedded in the shape of an angel wing-like silhouette cut from a white background. Her name and the name of the album appear in the upper right-hand corner, thin-fonted with the title in lowercase. There is a softness here, but also a very peculiar reference to herself being a part of the angel wing, almost implying she is angelic herself, which is an ideal we'll return back to. However, beyond the angelic reference, the most important part of the album art is the tagline on the bottom. It reads, what we call human nature in actuality is human habit. This is an incredibly bold statement, but also displays an incredible amount of hope in the future of society, hope that is often easily overlooked if looking at each song individually. Everything in the album that is harmful and soul-sucking and evil is redeemable in her eyes, because it is merely something that is routine rather than inevitable. It's something that's taught rather than natural. If the cycle can be broken, then the problems can be fixed. Well, not completely. And this brings us to the final two ideas in the album. One is a bit of a retread on an idea we introduced earlier, in this introduction of compared imperfection from Foolish Games. Multiple songs see her sing about being better than past generations, but none are quite so obvious in the difficulty of accomplishing this than in Daddy. Daddy is a very soft song, musically. But lyrically, this is one of, if not the most brutal, songs on the album. For a good majority of the song, she's making fairly parodical and obvious remarks on the kinds of things one generation criticizes about the next. Unimportant things like the way they eat or sleep or even leaving the refrigerator door half open, being used as examples of how good for nothing they are. Obviously, none of these are good examples of poor workmanship, dedication, or manners, but they're often used as such. And in another twist, she points out a moment of him sneaking out of the house to go to a clan meeting with his white hood in tow as a way to turn it back on him with real evidence for detestable qualities. What's that say about you, she says, in response to his insignificant jabs on her. However, she is not perfect in this as well, which is an important aspect of the song. Take a listen to the fourth verse. You know, sometimes I want to bash in your teeth, Daddy. I'm gonna use your tongue as a stamp. I'm gonna rip your heart out the way that you did this is intensely violent imagery, taken so far as to be really kind of indefensible. 
She is imperfect here. Her attempt to be better and grow stronger than her father is marred by the pain she feels from the way he treated her. Violence begets violence a lot of the time, and though she opines love and kindness in the rest of the album, growth is slow and painful, and she's vastly aware of that. And with nearly all puzzle pieces on the table, we come to our last major theme. Growth is painful, but with enough strength, change can be made to help even the odds and project love and happiness into an unfair world. But that final theme is that the world is fully and independently unfair. People are hurt or die on their own with no malicious intervention. There is no controlling everything. Even if you live in the most perfect idyllic life, free from causing harm, life simple and loving, with a garden and a little old house, you can still be robbed of happiness earlier than expected, as shown in Painters. And in her heart she knew something was wrong. She went No matter what you do, you are still subject to the whims of chance, and it would be easy for that to be the final straw. The moral fiber of the album collapsing into futility, because there really is nothing to be done. But that exact point is where the album fully defines itself, because rather than giving into the nihilistic tendency to announce that a random fate is a worthless one, Jewel is very much pushing for a burning, passionate sense of hope and love despite this futility, saying that it is precisely because the world is uncaring that we need to care so much. And this fully and finally brings us to the through line of the album, that it is incredibly easy to be unkind and corrupt those in your surroundings because the world is an unjust, uncaring one. But to strive to be better and push for love and kindness despite this, even if imperfectly, will lead to a better future for ourselves and our children, and ultimately, more fulfilling and worthwhile life. And this is likely why the album is named Pieces of You, or at least part of the reason. The expression itself has a few different possible meanings. Pieces of You could imply that you have been broken into pieces, or that the album itself is an attempt to unmask different parts of your personality, an album with each song written about one of your, or her, disparate pieces. Even so, the actual song Pieces of You is about, as we discussed before, being unkind as external punishment for an internal struggle, talking about the pieces of us that connect us, but also cause us further torment as a result. But most effectively, this title seems to be a reference to the generational passing down of traits and beliefs, learned behavior for better or for worse. Children are pieces of their parents, literally, but the important thing is that they remain pieces, never the whole, because then they can learn and grow to fill in those gaps with new parts that hopefully are better than the rest. Or possibly it's about all of these at the same time, multiple pieces that connect together into a puzzle at the end. So how about we start uncovering the puzzle, going track by track and figuring out how each song works into the bigger picture. We start with Who Will Save Your Soul, 
It's the song that sets the stage for the conflict at the heart of the album and introduces an aspect of anti-religion sentiment that we have yet to discuss. While I guess it's not so much anti-religion as it is anti-loophole in a sense, the song is criticizing this idea in religion, most pointedly specific sects of Christianity, that's often used as all-encompassing protection against making evil or corrupt decisions. Listen to the chorus here really quickly and notice the emphasis on pointing out the lies of the addressed. There's an aspect of some faiths that essentially implies that if one asks for forgiveness at any point for anything, they'll be granted it and allowed eternal life in the heaven of their choice, regardless of any of the fucked up or awful things they did to themselves, others, or the world in their time alive. It's a rather evil way to commit to living, taking advantage of the situation and subsequently others because there will be no consequences, especially if the chosen evil isn't necessarily illegal just immoral or even just generally frowned upon. It's easy to hate others and be unkind and spout racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, violent, painful, and vile rhetoric if you're convinced it will not bar you from eternal happiness because you said I'm sorry one time right at the end. To be clear, religion is not in and of itself bad, but taking advantage of free forgiveness to be a terrible member of society is evil. Jewel here is very clearly saying, at least in my interpretation, that how can you be so convinced of your soul's safety if you refuse to do anything yourself to make it a positive force in the world? In the rest of the song, she sings about fighting others for power and scraping and clawing for more, which leads into a perfectly self-perpetuating loop. She has no solution here. She has no positivity. This song is the state of the world in her eyes, broken and cutthroat, with an endless attempt to circumnavigate a solution of being kind in favor of praying to as many gods as there are flowers to just get an easy break as a reward. This song is also one of the most orchestrated on the album as well, a full band with multiple instrumentalists all contributing to add texture to this song. This serves to add as another layer onto the meaning, showing the very affirmed position of society at this point. This is the most realized and fundamental truth of our reality, that people are poor because others are rich, people are unkind and corrupt because they feel they can be, and people are fake or easily convinced of bad because there's no other way. And so, this is the most realized song, at least musically. And then, we immediately swing over into a different style in Pieces of You, the title track in a rather inflammatory one. So much so that I actually must warn anyone who searches out the artist in this album to understand that the song makes reference to a couple racial and homophobic slurs as a method of creating discomfort in the meaning. Regardless of its purpose, whether justified or not, it can still be alarming to hear. So this is a warning to listeners on this song. I will not be saying or playing these sections, but you can search out the music or lyrics if you desire. 
We've already discussed this song a little bit, but following the stage setting of Who Will Save Your Soul, this song has an important role to play in pulling in a few defining themes off of the beginning. Firstly, it solidifies the expression of being unkind as an endless and damaging cycle, often leading to violence. Hearing the words or phrases over and over again is meant to be uncomfortable and build an ugly atmosphere, one that is unpleasant to live in. As an example of turning the words back on those who say them to realize the feeling it creates in the target. Take a listen to the ending of verse 2 and notice the way Jewel chews the words to add malice. She's a pretty girl Does she make you think nasty thoughts? She's a pretty girl Do you want to tie her down? Again here, there are no solutions, but rather, the second theme this song creates is one of shared experience. We are all human, and as such, we are all connected. So the things you say negatively about another are not just contained to them. Harm spreads and is often a harm that those who cast it are doing so to prevent doing to themselves. And in this idea, there is hope, but the hope is hard to find because we see with Little Sister a furthering of the idea presented in Who Will Save Your Soul, except that here she is talking less about those who use and abuse power or corrupt means to improve their situation at the cost of others. This song is about those caught in the losing position. Little Sister is a zombie in a body with no solo role. She has learned to play in a world today when nothing else matters. But it matters. We gotta start feeding our souls, not our addictions or afflictions of pain. Controlled and ferried from substance to substance to build mindless zombies who are unable to challenge the status quo, who are unable to escape and plead for a better life and better conditions. But here is the first aspect of pleading, the first moment of Jewel crying out for a more loving future. She sings in that second refrain from earlier, essentially that we are touch and love starved. We're focused so much on simple things to satiate our lives, things reliable but not nutritious, dangerous and addictive, that we are avoiding our loved ones in favor of our dealers or doctors or vices. And you'd think that we would continue pushing further past the curtain of the aspects wrong with society, but it isn't necessary. That isn't the most important part of the album. It's merely defining the problems to be solved later. And nothing is yet solved in Foolish Games. We've talked about this one a lot, so just a brief summary. Essentially, this song, hidden under the guise of a young troubled relationship, is actually about generational differences. The magical mysteriousness of adults and their smart opinions that slowly morphs over time into a painful understanding of the previous generation's failings and a realization of one's own mistakes. I'm not gonna lie, it feels very jarring. A wild tonal change from the first three songs in that it is much more personal, but it continues a thread of imperfection from Little Sister that leads us into Near You Always. Please don't touch me like that Makes every other embrace seem pale and shallow and please don't come so close it just makes me want to make you near me oh. 
This is a weird song, because it really could work in the album as both a dark or a light song. The main character of the song is begging the partner to be less loving and less kind because it will lead to an obsession. The sheer act of this kindness feels like risk, because if it fails or is unreal, the consequences can be devastating, like one's heart being crushed between their teeth. This is the dark side. She believes that having this hope is a risky proposition, a dangerous game in the unfair world. But it also almost reads like that one interpretation of Baby It's Cold Outside, where the woman is rejecting the man's advances but never leaves because it was seen as impure or deviant to actively desire the choice to stay in the time period when the song came out. This is the romantic interpretation. A fearful aspect of insecurity and self-doubt, sure, but one that hides an incredible passion and desire for this love. This is the light side, and seeing how the rest of the album shakes out, it feels like this is the more likely side, especially considering painters. He put watercolored roses in her hair. He said, Love, I love you. I want to give you the mountains, the sunshine, the sunset too. This is the second saddest song in the album, but it beats out the other by also being one of the most beautiful in its sadness. This song is a long story that I'll try and summarize as best I can here. It's about a couple who live with love and passion in their hearts and paint the world around them and each other as mementos of the time they spend together. However, one day the husband dies unexpectedly on a particularly foreboding night. The woman is distraught, saying that everything is a waste if he's gone, especially the paintings reminding her of his death, these memories, but is suddenly reassured by him that these paintings are showcases of the love they had, and are talismans of the continuation of that love, that it is never truly gone, but captured in those moments. And so she continues to live out and use the paintings of each other as reminders, and continues to paint him to remember, well into her old age, never losing that love. Like I mentioned before, this is an example of the futility of life, but also about using love to combat it. And in this way, it is also abstracting out to an idea of using love and kindness to combat the impossible nature of the harm of society. Listen to the chorus of the song to hear that abstraction take place. They were painting themselves a lovely world. She just as easily could have said life. It may not have sounded as round, but it's still an important decision to clarify that they were changing their whole world by doing this. And at this point, we're starting to get the sense that Jewel believes that the whole world can be changed like this. And in the following song, Morning Song, we get an attempt by Jewel to take this idea and apply it to her own life. Let's go back to sleep Let the world spin outside our door You're the only one that I want to see 
The entire song is designed to be playful and simple, foregoing chores, foregoing work, and all the familiar trappings of everyday life to bathe in love for just a little bit longer. She very specifically even presents an idea of this possibly being all she needs as well, saying that for him, she'd be a poor man's wife, inasmuch that they wouldn't have a lot, but they would have each other. It's incredibly soft. This is a bright point for her, a hope nestled within that wishes for this easy life. But this easy life is soured by the surrounding songs. Painters involves a sudden, unexpected death, but the following song, Adrian, suffers from an even worse affliction. Whereas in Painters, the love between the two individuals was enough to allow the wife to keep living, bolstered by the memories and paintings of their time together, Adrian is about a boy who becomes critically disabled to the point where he seems catatonic and absent. It's no accident to place Morning Song between these two, as it affirms an aspect of instability. A moment of pure happiness is only one step, one accident away from an existence that seems unjust. And life is full of decisions, full of situations where the correct thing to do isn't incredibly clear. And by placing the song where it is, she is saying that sometimes merely love just isn't enough to even make it easier to take the blows from an unfair world. Take a listen to the fourth verse of this song as the generalized others talk about unplugging Adrian from his coma, and Mary, the other main character, refuses to allow it, despite his life being significantly hampered from this point, even though he wakes up. They talked in a whispered hush, said Still she sat by his side She said alive He won't be denied Oh, Adrian, come help and play But that doesn't mean it isn't worth trying, even imperfectly. Jewel's voice suffers and cracks multiple times through each chorus, but Mary, though she grows to visit Adrian less consistently, never fully stops visiting, still coming to check in once a week despite the disdain from the community and the implied existence of her own separate life. Any attempt to bring kindness into the world is not a bad one, even if it's fundamentally unsuccessful. And this idea is explored more in I'm Sensitive that being unkind is always going to cause harm. And while being kind doesn't necessarily always cause good things to happen, as shown in Adrian, being kind cannot, at least intentionally or easily, cause harm. As in the clip we played before, Jewel believes, has a theory even, that if we're bad, then that's the only idea we'll ever have. But if we're surrounded in beauty, someday we will become what we see. It's an upward battle, obviously, but placing the song after Adrian's starts to close the loop begun in painters. Life is beautiful if shared with another, and even though tragedy can strike randomly and love sometimes isn't enough, it's not worth giving up and allowing ugliness to take over because sometimes love is enough. And for those instances, it's at least worth trying. But just as Jewel sings, we are everyday angels at the end of the song, a sentiment expressed again later and a callback to the album art itself, she again moves from universal Universal to personal with the two-song diptych of You Were Meant For Me and Don't. 
On the surface, both of these seem to be exposing two different aspects of a relationship that has ended, one being the immediate fallout and learning to live on your own again, and the other being the acceptance of the end and the desire to prevent further pain down the road by refusing to fall back in love. It feels very much just on the surface and seems to distract from the point being built by the rest of the album. But in this tapestry of self-doubt, it's impossible not to hearken back to Near You Always and further, Foolish Games. In fact, if one looks at the lyrics between Near You Always and Don't, the latter almost acts as a reprise of the former, though much sadder, more grief-stricken. And this opens the door to an interpretation of the songs that truly espies a much harsher bleeding heart. It's easy to look at You Were Meant For Me as a breakup song, denial at it being the end, and very clearly saying that, hey, you made a mistake, and you're gonna see. But the song reads a lot more depressive, again, more grief-stricken than traditionally upset, in a way that almost feels like the relationship ended because of the partner's death rather than a breakup, mirroring painters in some way. Listen to the chorus really quick and hear the sadness in her voice. after you're gone, and soon you will see I was meant for you, and you were meant for me. We're almost getting a bit of a subplot throughout the album of a relationship that she felt was doomed to fail due to her insecurity from Foolish Games to Near You Always, but there was the rumblings of something bad happening when they were at their best from Painters to Morning Song, and now it has ended here, and she moves into Don't with the express wish to not fall in love again and suffer the same fate. Don't breathe so soft and don't talk so sweet and don't sing she's ignoring her own advice of love here because it has hurt her and wronged her even if we read it as a breakup she still feels betrayed by that endless love and passion she once gave and can't stand to let it happen again. She's fully admitting here that this hope for kindness and hope for love is not easy, even to the point where she might not be able to do it herself. And Daddy is where she targets that blame. A song of violence and hatred, anger and confusion at how she could be brought up the way she was. She turns back toward the themes from before and begins weaving a surprisingly simple web formed of the generational trauma, spewing ugliness as a symptom of externalized self-criticism, imperfect growth, an unfair world or society, and even her own distrust in love through the composition here. She sings of minor flaws in herself, asking if they deserve her the punishment she received, but then turns the song on its head and wishes for his gruesome fate at the way he treated her and the way he raised her. She is lampooning her own lyrics from Pieces of You here, ironically. 
criticizing herself for the feelings she has, furious at her father for the things within herself she can't control that lead her into those damaged relationships and her inability to value herself enough to fall in love again. But she wants nothing more than to break this cycle. She doesn't want to be perfect, as referenced by her last lines in the song and the final one of My Bones Are Tired but she doesn't want to be like him. The fighting and cruel words hurt her just as much as it does the people around her, and she vows to be better than he was in Angel Standing By. Here, she calms down and sings to her future, or possibly current, child that she promises to be a light in their life and always there for them. Listen to the chorus of this song. <laughs> telling you you are nothing less than beautiful. She wants to be this positive force for good, the same type she sings in in I'm Sensitive, the same kind she believes can make the world better. She knows she isn't perfect, as referenced in that same song with the line of everyday angels, people actively trying to be better, but she reiterates the self-proclamation of being an angel in the last lines of this song to suggest that she wants to be that strength for her child. And just as gentle as this song is, the final song, Amen, is harsh. This is the bookend to the first song, obviously, but in more so than just placement. Who Will Save Your Soul introduces a concept of a corrupt and unjust world built upon this aspect of feeding off of each other because salvation is assured. And Amen takes this idea and completely conflagrates it. The song introduces the listener immediately into a violent world on fire, a broken society that causes pieces of us to die every day, referencing us all as fallen angels in a world with no heroes and no salvation, waiting on angels who will never come. This is a final warning. Where are my Where are my angels? Where's my golden one? Where's my hope? This is dystopian and cruel and saliently critical and finishes the album on a note of fear, meant to invoke an idea that this is where we are headed if we do not turn to kindness and love, because waiting on a savior to rescue you in a world fueled by your own hatred and cruelty is a lost cause. And so the album comes to a close, and Jewel finishes her piece, a warning sign of a future she can see, and one that truthfully feels prophetic. 27 years later, and her attempt to show an alternative. 
a difficult alternative and one that will likely be done imperfectly and sometimes without success, but filled with a driving hope and full commitment to the idea that surrounding oneself and projecting love and kindness will often flower more, becoming an avenue for change. Doing good for the sake of doing good rather than for the promise of reward and allowing yourself time with happiness and the ones you love will make your life more worthwhile. We are all pieces of each other and are thus all connected by inseparable bonds in a completely random and neutral world. And it's those bonds, those connections, that are the most important. In the end, Jewel just wants us to be kind, do no harm, and have hope. Stick around after the break for a quick conversation about the album. Hey everyone, welcome back to Throughline. We just got done talking about the album, breaking it down into its pieces and finding the Throughline, and I uh, don't have a guest today. It's just going to be me, and we're just going to be talking about a few of the things that I found in my additional research on the album. So it'll be a little bit different today, it'll be a little bit shorter. But I wanted to kind of talk about a few of the things that Jewel has kind of mentioned about the album since it came out, her thoughts on its construction, her thoughts on its legacy, and her thoughts on kind of the world in general. To begin, it was a little bit more difficult for me to find information about the album that other people have said. Fans in general, even reviews were kind of more difficult to find, and a lot of the reviews from the early time when the album was first released are middling at best, a lot in the C's average and things like that. So a lot of her interviews and a lot of the things that Jewel has said about the album have come in the wake of the 25th anniversary edition that came out a couple of years ago. So she's had a lot of time to coalesce her thoughts and put them together. And so we might not necessarily be getting exactly the idea of what she meant when she first wrote the album. And that kind of goes into another point that I wanted to bring up in that in the opening of the episode, I mentioned that, oh, she had a fine relationship with her father. And then in the breakdown, I mentioned in Daddy, this conflict of daughter with father. In the beginning, I mentioned that that wasn't necessarily the case. She had a decent re relationship with her father, but that might also not be true. Now she might have a decent relationship with her father, but at the time, her father had been going through some medical problems, some personal problems, and she grew up in kind of a difficult situation. So it kind of goes to show that this is a very contradictory position. And that's one of the things that she mentions about being human in general, in that we are very much contradictions. She says in an interview from Pop Entertainment in June 1996, this is just one year after the album first came out with J.S. Jacobs. She says, we live in a world, you know, so we can be naive and wise at the same time, flirtatious and innocent at the same time. All of these things, that is very human. We live in a world of polar opposites. We live in north and south. We live in light and dark. That's not bad. We shouldn't try to take the mystery out of things through science. That's what's magical about people, about writing, about being human. 
contradictions aren't necessarily a problem in how we view the world, as long as those contradictions don't lead us to do things like hate and cause harm. But a lot of the development of society is based on differences of opinions and differences in opinions in ourselves. Uh, language itself grows because people misinterpret. Culture grows because people have different ways of looking at things, and problems are solved because there are different perspectives. So contradiction is inherently human, and it isn't inherently bad. It kind of just goes into the texture of creating who we are. And so a lot of things are built on this contradiction in as much that this album was largely made up. A lot of the stories that are being told here are not necessarily true. They're more of interpretations of things that she had read at the time, things that she had gone through, metaphor or abstracted out. But one of the things that I found really interesting is that in that same interview, she almost criticizes the exact thing that I'm doing right now. She says that music is one of the last things that kids will love with their hearts without over-intellectualizing. I think cleverness is a kind of disease. It's not smart. It's just safe. And she's talking about her album in that it's not necessarily that important for it to be the most clever thing that's ever been written. And obviously, I'm going through it and I'm trying to find the cleverness in it and trying to find the importance or the connection between all of the things. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there is one. And that doesn't necessarily mean that there has to be one. A lot of entertainment is entertainment or is used to define human issues and kind of connect to our core emotional states, which we kind of talked about a little bit before. And I mentioned this in the last episode, but this is where a lot of the hatred for this album kind of existed when it was first released. There's a retrospective on the album done by Natalia Holtzman just a couple of years ago for Consequence Sound, where she's talking about how the album, for the most part, was rather cliche and her word schlocky, but that it was connected to her experience at the time. She talks about listening to a few songs that, while on second thought may have been kind of cliche and maybe a little bit melodramatic, if we're using the more negative connotation of that, they were connected to her experience at the time. And this article goes on to talk about a few of the reviews from the time when the album came out, where these male reviewers, these male critics are, in her words, spewing a kind of vitriol because she's describing her own feelings. And so they describe it as cringe-inducing and wimply produced, and Robert Christigau of a very fun and totally unbiased reviewer with a lot of very important and good things to say, definitely for sure, talks about how she has these useless ideas about prejudice and injustice. But useless here implies that a simple idea is a worthless one, and that's not necessarily the case. There doesn't always have to be some grand plan, some grand idea to promote betterment in the world. One can simply say, hey, maybe we need to be a little bit nicer to each other, and that might not be the worst thing in the world. Just because it's not clever, just as much as she says, doesn't mean it's worthless, because it's not bad. Anything good, no matter how small, can't be bad. It can only be neutral, or in most cases, at least a little good. And in society as it is right now, a little good is important, because there's a lot of bad. So there's this unfair idea, especially male critics talking about female artists, in that the things that they say are too emotional, or too connected to some sensitive side, which is something that she talks about a lot in her album, 
that make it devoid of reason. But reason isn't necessarily the most important quality of being human because we are all people and we are all connected more commonly through emotion than we are through logic. And this idea of them being critical is in and of itself an emotional response to her emotional lyrics. And one of the things that she's trying to do is trying to say that saying these harmful things, whether or not you're trying to be unbiased about this thing, they're being critical in a way that is biased. Well, you can't just go and say, oh, she has this abiding love for her own voice and that's, that makes it insufferable because these are not logical attacks. This is a character attack because you don't know these facts. And so one of the things that she tries to do when she's talked about this is that she has this notes on the 25th anniversary edition on Apple Music where she talks about a few of the songs and she talks about Pieces of You, her most inflammatory song by far. But the way that she wrote it, she says, there was a girl that was really mean to me and I sat down to be really reactionary and be mean back. And it suddenly struck me that hatred is often based on insecurity. And that song just came out exactly like it is. However long it takes to sing it is how long it took to write it. Every single thing in that song I've heard people say, I wanted that song to escalate into what I've often seen it become, which is an unchecked, secretive hatred, and then shine a light on the fact that it's usually something about you. There's a lot of self-awareness going on here that wouldn't necessarily be the case for somebody that isn't aware and isn't in control of their own rationality. She knows that she was going to be mean. And this is a very real and human experience in that sometimes you understand that the best thing for you to do isn't the first thought that you have. Your first thought is and will often be a much worse representation of yourself. But she goes on to say like, I changed this. I made it into something better as a way to shine a light on this thing that's going on, this awful thing in reality that's going on. And this is anything less than surface level. Just because the lyrics are simple doesn't mean the song is. And just because the song is anyway doesn't mean it has nothing to say. Everything that says something says something. And it's unfair to not look at it in the way that it was attempting to present itself. We live in a very difficult culture right now. A lot of very difficult things are happening with the Supreme Court being the way that it is. And at the time that I'm recording this, a mass shooting again happened just hours ago. And I'm recording this not as a response, but as the reality of the situation that we're living in. And an album that pushes people and influences people to be better, to be kinder to each other, and to push us into a world where these things may not happen because we're giving each other that support and because we're living for each other and not for ourselves isn't a bad thing. Yes, it's a female artist, singer-songwriter, folksy music from the mid-90s. It is the absolute definition, or at least connotative definition, of melodramatic white girl schlock. As, the, as Natalia put it. But it may be talking about one of the most important things that we need to do as a society right now, and that's to stop causing harm to everyone. We are all connected. We all have the same genetic ancestry. You break it down far enough, we're all exactly the same. But we are also different enough to be interesting, to create culture, to expand the limits of our society and expand our minds in a way that should be 
amazing to know that our minds are capable of experiencing things that we didn't think were possible, that our minds are capable of understanding love in different ways than we previously knew, is capable of understanding ourselves and our gender and our own minds in ways that we didn't think were possible before. That should be amazing. And too often right now, because we're stuck in our own ways, is that seen as bad. Life is complicated and our minds are complicated. So shouldn't the things that we say and do to each other be more simple and be kinder? That's really all the time I have for today. So I think with that, we'll wrap up this episode of Throughline with this week's album, Pieces of You by Jewel. To quote one of my favorite lyrics of all time by my favorite band of all time, Typhoon, be kind to all of your neighbors because they're just like you. You're nothing special unless they are too. I hope everyone stays safe and we'll see you next time. Have a good night.